namo myo horenge kyo namo myo horenge kyo namo myo horenge kyo hi hi friends uh, i hope this finds you in good health and secure uh, thank you for being here for your practice today we start another translation of the lotus sutra the sadharma pundarika sutra This one is uh, has some accolades, and um, I'm not going to go too far into that because it's, what we're doing is studying the Lotus Sutra, not the academics. However, I think it does. It's probably a good idea to read some. I'm not going to read the entire. Fo there's a forward. There's a what is it? Author's note or or some other fo forward, and there's a um, preface. So we've got three different forwards, really. But they have different focuses, and I don't want to read them all because they're kind of lengthy. Um, but, I mean, I leave it to you. You can uh, read the entire thing, of course. But I do want to read some of it just as a preface to this series so you have an idea where the scholarship is in this particular uh, translation. I, I made a, uh, an error in dates uh, at the end of the last video. Uh, tried to jump ahead a little too much. The publishers uh, have been publishing since 1893. Uh, I saw that date and it reminded me of H. Kern's publication around that time of his translation of the Lotus Sutra, a different translation which only had 27 chapters rather than 28. Whether And there may be a substitution in another chapter. I, I don't recall right now. Still, uh, the message comes through rather clearly, and H. Um, Kern is actually used by Leon Hurwitz in one of the quotes that he uses uh, on terminology. So, uh, the, the, the first edition of Leon Hurwitz's uh, translation was 1976, I believe, and this uh, translation is an updated translation from 2009. Okay, so just so we got all those facts. And I want to read a little bit of the forward. Again, not all of it, uh, but I think it, um, it helps you to understand that my mission, as I've stated it many times with this resource, the website, this, uh, these videos, the podcast, so on and so forth, is to uh, get the cultural biases and the mysticism and uh, uh, old thinking out of the way so that we, modern Buddhists, Nichiren Doctrine Buddhists, uh, can understand clearly in language that is familiar and easily uh, in our capacity to understand without the baggage of these uh, influences. Now, will this translation be free of all those influences? Of course not. Um, however, it seems to be a subject of contention or at least focus with whatever efforts uh, to do that same thing. So I find myself in a long line, including Nitrin, of people who want to demystify, declutter, and remove biases as much as they can. Okay? So I'm just going to read this little portion here. Composed originally in Indic language and later put into the literary language of Sanskrit, Around the beginning of the Common Era, the ancient Lotus Sutra defined a strong position in debates among Indian Buddhists. The anonymous authors of the Lotus Sutra 
used the main protagonist of the book, Shakyamuni, the historical Buddha, to claim that all beings are capable of the highest form of enlightenment. That was rather revolutionary. Again, Shakyamuni did, had many drop-the-mic moments, yeah? <laughs> Early in the Lotus, Lotus's uh, narrative, the Buddha reveals to his followers that the goals he had previously taught them, the end of suffering, the pursuit of nirvana, are merely expedient devices intended to spur them on to the true goal. You've heard me say this in many ways, right? Furthermore, he declares, all methods are ultimately reconciled within the one inclusive vehicle as explained in the Lotus Sutra, the Myoho Rengekyo, right? The Lotus Sutra addresses other issues hotly contested by Mahayana Buddhists in the first few centuries of the Common Era. The scripture introduces parables that justify um, religious change. There you see, it still uses the word religious. This is the context of cultural bias, yeah? and reconcile innovations with past practice. The Lotus includes the famous story about the wise father's skills, drawing his unwitting children out of a burning house, the tale of the talented uh, guide who conjures an illusory city in order to give rest to tired travelers, and the metaphor of a rain cloud whose life-giving moisture is absorbed by different rates, by trees and grasses of different sizes, right? Everybody learns in their own way. Right? The, the, the medicine, the teaching, the, the, uh, the teaching of the Dharma is absorbed by our, each of our particular insights inculcated into our thinking so that we can reach awakening, right? Anyway, it goes on and on. Uh, and then it makes a weird statement. A, a, a new doctrine of Buddhahood is presented as well, right? This is the lifespan of the Tathagatha chapter. Shakyamuni declares that he first achieved enlightenment not in his current incarnation, not the right word, not the right thinking, but you and I know, we've discussed this many times, right? But rather eons ago, and that the true Buddha transcends the normal limits of time and space. Boy, have I talked about that a lot, yeah? So there it is in academic scholarship, in the forward, just to set it out on the table, all the cards laid out, so as we read the Lotus Sutra, we need to understand that the true Buddha, not Shakyamuni, has been around and transcends the normal limits of time-space. How many documents have I posted on threefoldlotus.com that you could download about the self, time, not time, now is not now, so on and so forth. I'm constantly talking about that. And as I read through the sutra, I will point out, here we go with that shifting time. It's almost, you almost feel a vertigo from it. But you have to catch it. Because if you don't, then you're going to be tossed around in some kind of fantasy world and you'll lose track that Buddhism is about the mind, not incarnation, right? If we're going to talk about incarnation, we need to understand it as the cycle of birth, death, birth, death, birth, death, birth, death, birth, death, birth, death, right? Moment to moment. But incarnation has so much baggage with it, we shouldn't use that word. It's really not a Buddhist term. 
Anyway, so uh, there's several more pages in the forward. Again, I'll leave it to you. Uh, there's a forward from the 1976 edition in here, and there's one thing that's said in here that I thought was useful. Uh, of all the writings in the Buddhist canon, none qualifies like the Lotus Sutra as a major scripture of enduring importance. It is a comprehensive and effective statement of the teachings of Mahayana Buddhism, most inspiring for its imagery and for its dramatic presentation of those teachings in a form readily appreciated by millions of Buddhists in China, Japan, Korea, North America, Australia, the world. Jampudvipa, I would say. Moreover, the Chinese version translated here, and that's the important part for our scholarship, that of Kumarajiva, about 400 CE, common era, has been widely accepted and indeed enjoyed over the last 15 centuries in East Asia. No collection of Oriental classics could be complete without it. Fortunately, in Leon Hurwitz, our translator, the Lotus and Kumarajiva have as a translator into English whose competence and devotion to the study of the text match its importance. Professor Hurwitz has spent almost a lifetime in the study of the Lotus, its commentaries, and the philosophies derived from it. So he's not some slouch, right? Here he brings that great store of learning to the translation of the Lotus into an English version that is illuminated, not overlaid, and burdened by it. And I liked reading that because that's very similar to what I say. Trying to remove as much as I possibly can the burden of cultural bias and uh, agendas, yeah? And that was written by William Theodore de Berry. And then in the preface... Oh, this is an interesting tidbit, and then we'll get into it. Chinese translations of the Lotus are known to have been made in the years 255, 286, 290, 335, 406, and 601. Those are years, right? Common era. Of these, only a third, fifth, and sixth survive. But the sixth is scarcely more than a revision of the fifth. The third was made by Dharmaraksa, uh, circa 223 to 300, the Chinese-born descendant of Iranians who had settled in West China generations before. The fifth on which the present translation is based is that of Kumarajiva, circa 350 to 410, an Indo-Iranian missionary who who numbers among the most outstanding of all the translators. So now we know uh, Kumarajiva's cultural background, yeah? Dharmaraksa presumably did his translation without help, being perfectly at home in both Buddhist Sanskrit and Chinese. Kumarajiva, on the other hand, was the head of the most elaborate state-sponsored translation bureau yet to exist on the soil of China. However, not only did he have his collaborators, but in all likelihood they were indispensable to him, for it is extremely improbable that he could write or read Chinese at all. 
Whether or not he could, the fact remains that in the course of the years his bureau worked out a method of translation that, to judge from the clarity of the style, must have been very efficient indeed. Kumarajiva's version is much easier reading than Dharmaraksa's. Dharmaraksa's. Mm, my mouth is lazy today. Which goes a long way toward explaining why and how it eclipsed that uh, the latter totally. All right. So, and the preface is quite in depth and long. So, again, I'm not going to, we're not here to read the preface. It is a, re a really great historical document, though, of how uh, these, uh, the scholarship gets carried out in these translations. So, I do recommend uh, that you take time to read that just on its own as a, a study. It will really clarify how to read uh, beyond, yeah, I mean, I'm constantly exhorting us to, to keep our minds straight on this stuff. But certainly, if you're a fan of understanding how these things come together, uh, I believe it adds depth and profundity to our own understanding uh, by all means. Uh, I just avoid reading them because they're not the subject at hand, but they're closely related, right? So, introduction. Oh, once again, this is uh, a translation of the Lotus Sutra, period. This is not the threefold Lotus Sutra. Difference being is the threefold Lotus Sutra, which is the namesake of our school here, um, is the uh, innumerable meanings or immeasurable meanings sutra which is three chapters if i recall correctly um, and it serves as an introduction to the lotus sutra it has some interesting information Nichiren often quotes from it so uh, i like to include that but since i don't have uh, that book by leon hervitz then i'm not going to mix up that the academics and translations We'll just read the Lotus Sutra, as we did with the BDK, right? Uh, finding as their sources uh, the Tripitaka. Uh, the next book will be a, a revision of the book that I started with uh, long ago with this school uh, from the um, uh, Nikko Nawano, um, the Kosai Publishing, what is the name of it? Arisho Kosai, uh, Kosai Kai International. Um, they have a book, it's a brown cover with the silhouette of the uh, side view of the Buddha uh, head, and it's called the Threefold Lotus Sutra, and that's what I started my studies with, and I did a whole series of lectures, the Lotus Lectures, based on that book and three or four other translations, including H. Kern and um, a modern, I think it was, uh, what's his name, Gray? Oh, my brain. Um, anyway. Some other translations. And I'm just extending that study now with Leon Herbert's and then this new edition uh, uh, of the Threefold Lotus Sutra, uh, now titled Buddhism for Today, an effort, as I am doing, to uh, clean up the biases, although it still has its own, uh, the essential wisdom of the Threefold Lotus Sutra. So that'll be fun reading. Um, and I think, yeah, that's the last translation I have here. So we'll close out with that unless I find some more that are, you know, worth reading. All right, enough blah, blah, blah. It's 15 minutes of introduction. Um, the first chapter of the Lotus Sutra here. Is this? Yeah. 
is uh, called Introduction, oddly enough. Thus have I heard. At one time, the Buddha was dwelling in the city of kings, uh, the king's house, Rajraga, on uh, Vulture Mountain, together with 12,000, Sanskrit 1,200, why would you do that? Great bhikshus, mendicant monks, all were arhants, men enlightened but not Buddhas, their outflows already exhausted, never again subject to the anguish uh, klesa. They had achieved their own advantage and annihilated the bonds of existence, and their minds had achieved self-mastery. So, uh, not bodhisattvas, but uh, highly awakened, highly enlightened, highly scholared, but still admired in the samsaric self. That's not what it says here, but you'll see. Annihilated the bonds. That's one of the words that I was saying in previous videos is a word we also is misleading. Um, I've had people ask me, do we have to kill the self or the ego in order to awaken the Buddha eye? And that kind of thinking comes from words like annihilated. Annihilated, if we want to continue, we're going to continue to see it in this book. If you think of it, if you can, as the liberation from the bonds, right? Not destruction, per se, which annihilated basically is translated today as complete and other destruction, right? But remember, in Buddhism, it's about the mind. So the destruction isn't physical. It's not material. That's a very samsaric word, if you think about it. No pun intended. What is, in fact, in uh, H. Kern's book, the word um, repulsion was used. Hmm? Like um, aversion, a, 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 a disgust with which is another way of looking at just removing your strong magnetic tendencies, cravings and clinging. Hmm? That's what's being, quote, annihilated. Make sense? All right. So please try to remember that we're not destroying or evaporating anything. We're simply changing our relationship to it. That is the core of Shakyamuni's teachings, the cravings and clinging. He made it very clear in the first, the, the Four Noble Truths, very early on, right? All right. This is why it's called achieved self-mastery. See, the self is there, but when you master the self, it's no longer constantly preoccupied with Craving and clinging, possessions, database, warehouse of self-identification. It's, it's very difficult to try to explain in language or even to imagine, forget the language part, what it, life could be like without reliance of stuff, relationships, having, have not desires, right? Mara. It's very difficult to imagine. 
Our only path to really experience that liberation, Namo Myoho And that's why we're reading this sutra, right? Their names were Ajnata Kaundinya, Mahakashyapa, Uruvila Vakashyapa, Gaya Kashyapa, Nadi, Nadi Kashyapa, Sariputra, Great Maudagayana, Mahakatyayana, Aridudha, uh-oh, there's going to be a whole list of names here. Yeah, Subhuti, Ananda, Rahula. Such great arhants as these, known to the multitude. So these arhants are excellent Shravaka or Pratikabuddha, right? They're students who've achieved a degree of awareness and knowledge about themselves that they have effectively in samsara divorced themselves of the distractions, the monkey mind, the cravings and clingings, right? But they're still just samsaric beings. And though they may teach others, obviously they're scholars, um, they teach from a standpoint of knowing rather than facilitating. There's a big difference between Arahant and a Bodhisattva, and I'll leave it to the sutra to really pick that apart. Uh, I've talked about it before, and uh, there are entries in the Buddhism reference book, the, the first volume, and the second volume to come. We'll also have a lot of information that'll dig deeper in some of the older terms here. And perhaps I should add uh, Annihilation to the, that book. I just added, by the way, as we finished uh, the BDK translation, their constant repetition of certain Mara demons like Raksasas uh, and uh, Putanas and all of that. And I just entered um, uh, a rather long, not too long, a description of those demons under the, uh, the section demons um, so that you have some reference to that in, the, in volume two. So that's coming. I wonder if there's anything in this I should read. Each of us is responsible for creating an environment of warmth and consideration for those we love. I have always tried to define a good day, not in terms of one in which all things were made right and comfortable for me, but rather as a day in which I have been able to make another's day more loving and special for them. We must treat each other with dignity. Not because we merit it, but because we grow best in thoughtfulness. What a great quote, right? You know who that is. Leo Buscaglia. Not a Buddhist, but a a great mind, yeah? So, I would consider him a good friend, a good influence, right? All right, so where are we? Such great arhats as these, known to the multitude. There were also another 2,000 persons, including those who had more to learn and those who had not. There was, see, it's something to have more to learn or to have not. You don't need to learn anything more because an arhant might consider themselves someone who no longer needs to learn anymore. And in fact, we'll see how that plays out in this first chapter or second 
Um, that doesn't mean you know everything. See, that's the conundrum of an arhat. An arhat thinks they know everything, so they don't need to know anything else. Therefore, they've achieved all that can be achieved. That's the mistake. A bodhisattva knows just as well what the arhat does, or arhant. However, because a bodhisattva extends what they know into skillful means, taking what they quote-unquote know and making it known in whatever form it needs to be known to the capacity of others so that they too can set on the path to their awakening. That's a far bigger task, a far more involved moment-to-moment task, and a task which must, by its nature, lead to complete, perfect, full enlightenment, something the Arahant knows nothing about. Big difference, huh? There was Mahaprajapati, the bhikshuni, or the mendicant nun, together with 6,000 followers. So already he's including women practitioners, right? Mendicants, a word that I've used before, basically med- meditation, active, right? Practicing meditation, monks, mendicants. Rahula's mother, Yashodara, the bhikshuni, was also there together with her followers. There were 80,000 bodhisattva mahasattvas, all non-backsliders in Anuttara Samyak Sambodai, perfect enlightenment, that of a Buddha, all having mastered the Dharanis, the, the um, what can we call the Dharanis outside of Dharanis? Because these translations always want to talk about magic charms like this, or spells from BDK. Um, preaching with joy and eloquence, turning the irreversible Dharma wheel, having made offerings to incalculable hundreds of thousands of Buddhas, having planted many seeds of merit, constantly being praised by the Buddhas, cultivating themselves with compassion, having entered well into the Buddha's wisdom, having penetrated great wisdom, having reached the yonder shore, their fame bruited widely in countless worlds, able to save numberless hundreds of thousands of living beings. Right? So the Dharanis basically is what we chant, Namo Myorengekyo. The Dharani are sounds, word-like apparatus to capture a much larger concept of teachings in a short, brief burst. Just as though as I've used the example before, a child might call out, Mom! And they do so without knowing the full breadth of what it is to be a mother, let alone the full breadth of what it is to be themselves safe and secure. Mom becomes an invocation of the depth of need and, and assistance requested of an entity that can provide for them some satiation from fear or danger or, or injury, so on and so forth, right? 
right? We don't normally think of that, but just shouting out mom has a tremendous amount of what we could say is charisma or baggage or definitions or a scope of meaning without having to list it all. So a darani is like that, right? Okay, and I define that in the new, uh, in the volume two as well. So it's coming, it's coming. Constantly praise my Buddhas, cultivating themselves. Their names were Manjushri Bodhisattva, the Bodhisattva He, who observes, or He, who observes the sounds of the world, Avalokitesvara, remember him. The Bodhisattva, gainer of great strength, Mahatas Maprata, Prapta. The Bodhisattva, constantly exerting himself. Nityodyukta, the Bodhisattva, he who does not rest, the Bodhisattva of the jeweled palm, the Bodhisattva medicine king, the Bodhisattva brave donor, and the Bodhisattva of the jeweled moon, the Bodhisattva of moon glow, the Bodhisattva of full moon, the Bodhisattva of great strength, the Bodhisattva of immeasurable strength, the Bodhisattva, he who transcends the three worlds, the Bodhisattva Bhadrapala, the Bodhisattva Maitreya, the Bodhisattva of the heap of jewels, the Bodhisattva, he who leads the multitude. He was with such Bodhisattvas as these to the number of 80,000. Thank you for not naming each one. <laughs> so our audience, the description of our assembly is growing and growing. As I've, as I've pointed out before in previous translations, the sutra enumerates the capacities and the mental tendencies and conditions of sentient minds. And as the audience grows, pay attention to their capacities and the way in which they conduct their um, coursing through the world, whether they're bodhisattvas, shravakas, Buddhas, or arhats, or laymen, laywomen, right? Attention is being paid to the different, the differences, quite simply, of mental capacities and fortitudes and how that translates into daily life. So the assembly is being very inclusive here, right? It continues to grow and it will grow more as different concepts are introduced because those people will have the capacity to understand as the Lotus Sutra teaching expands its reach. So that's the purpose of the assembly, quote-unquote. It's not a concert like Cal Jam or, or uh, Lollapalooza. Hmm? But if you think of it in terms of the capacity of sentient minds, well, that could be quite a crowd, yeah? So let's keep going. At that time, Sacro, see, it says, at that time. Now, now, as this assembly and the discussion evolves, at that time, more capacities are inculcated into this teaching, hmm? this event. At that time, Sakro Devanam Indra was there with his following, consisting of 20,000 sons of gods, hmm, among whom, well, what would sons of gods be? 
they would be young men who were influenced by strong motivations. Because in Buddhism, that's what gods are, right? Devas. Look up that term, devas. They're just all different influences. Nothing mystical, right? It's an unfortunate word to use the word gods or deities because that's not, especially to a Western mind, uh, it's very confusing. Among whom further were those named by the God's son of the moon, Kandra, the God's son of all pervading uh, fragrance, and the God's son of the glow of the jewels. So you can infer from that uh, certain mental mm, ideals, like the shining jewel, right? People love shiny stuff. But to shine mentally, oh, that's an aspiration. And that's the proper interpretation here. There were the four great god kings together with their retinue of 10,000 sons of gods. And boy, we're using God a lot here. Of course, this was uh, an Iranian immigrant. Anyway, uh, Leva and Hervis, I believe, was French. I should verify that for you. Let's just go on. There were the gods of son of self-mastery, Ishvara, and the godson of great self-mastery, Mahesvara, together with their retinue of 30,000 sons of these influences. There were the lord of Shaba, Saha world, the world, uh, Brahma, the king of, the, of all the influences, the great Brahma Shikin, and the great Brahma bright luster. Together with their retinue of 12,000 sons, there were eight dragon kings, Nagaraja, uh, name, and, and they're called dragons, but if you look up in the book, the Nagas, and, and you remember reading about the dragon king's daughter being a Naga, uh, these are basically serpents who serve and uphold the best or protect uh, humans, sentient minds, living beings, right? Namely, the Dragon King Nanda, the Dragon King Upananda, the Dragon King Sagara, the Dragon King Vasuki, the Dragon King Taksaka, the Dragon King Anavatapta, the Dragon King Manasvin, and the Dragon King Utpalaka, each with several hundreds of thousands of followers. There were four Kinara, mythical beings that are half horse, half man. Oh, yeah, that's literal. <laughs> Namely, the Kinara King Law, uh, Sanskrit Druma, the Kinara King Fine Law, the Kinara King Great Law, and the Kinara King Law Holder. Each, you see, these are all different aspects of the same thing. You, please keep reminding yourself of that. These aren't, this isn't like reading um, the Knights of the Round Table, where everybody is a, an actual character, protagonists. The protagonists in Buddhism are functions of the mind, attitude, intent, all of it. Please keep that in mind. I'm going to skip a few of these names because they, they really don't serve our purpose of understanding other than they're building a full picture of the capacities of sentient minds. So the Lotus Sutra is prepping itself to be quite universal. And that's the overall point, right? It isn't the specific teachings for students of this level, right? This isn't seventh grade. 
This isn't ninth grade. This isn't uh, a PhD. This is universal. So right off the bat, the the giveaway here, the, the spoiler alert is, it doesn't matter what your capacity is. This teaching directly affects you. Right from the get-go. Let's go on. So each was seven. Blah, blah, blah. There was uh, King Ajashatru, several hundreds of thousands, each having made obeisance to the Buddha's feet, withdrew and sat to one side. To one side. So this is just a part of the assembly. Billions of people. Minds. Hmm? At that time, the world-honored one, surrounded by the fourfold multitude. Fourfold multitude? Do you remember what that is? Fourfold? Monks, nuns, laymen, laywomen. That's the fourfold multitude. So every level of student. Hmm? Showered with the offerings, deferentially treated and revered for the Bodhisattva's sake, preached a scripture of the great vehicle named the Immeasurable Doctrine which is here not included. I'm not sure why anyone would study the Lotus Sutra without the preface or the immeasurable doctrine or its closing, the meditation on universal worthy, right? A dharma to be taught to bodhisattvas, which we are, a dharma which the Buddha keeps ever in mind. It's the preface to this teaching, so why not include it in the translation? I can't answer that. When he had preached this scripture, cross-legged, he entered into the samadhi state of concentration of the abode of the immeasurable doctrine, ananta, oh, long word, where his body and mind were motionless. So, pause. And basically, to sum it up, the immeasurable meanings or immeasurable doctrine is about the, this assembly, that it's immeasurable how many ways, how many insights, how many live paths can be taken to accomplish awakening. <clears throat> Each one of us is a different manifestation, moment to moment, of a path, a path that can't be defined before it occurs. It's immeasurable. That's one big point. That is the title of that sutra. But it also says of the following Lotus Sutra that no teachings in the previous 42 years or so measures up to this one. That they're all preparatory teachings, skillful means. And that now... Remember to Shariputra, Shakyamuni said, there are not three vehicles, not Shravaka, Pratyaka, Buddha, becoming an arhat from that, or Bodhisattva. There is only one. There are not two, there are not three. Was that Shariputra or was that um, Subhuti? It might have been Subhuti. At any rate, that comes out in the Immeasurable Meanings Sutra. He repeats it here in a little bit but not to the degree that he does in the preface. So really, okay, how are we doing time-wise? Yeah, it's getting a little long. I'm going to finish this paragraph and we'll continue in the next one. But we got a good start, right?
At this time, heaven rained down mandarava flowers, maha man, um, mandarava flowers, manjusaka flowers, and maha manjusaka flowers, scattering them all over the Buddha and his bands of followers. The whole Buddha world trembled in six different ways at that time. In the company, the bhikshus, bhikshunis, upasakas, upsika, upasikas, lay brothers and sisters, nagas, yaksas, right? There's those terms again. Gandharavas, ashuras, uh, garudas, kinaras, mahoragas, humans and non-humans, as well as petty kings and wheel-turning kings, these great assemblies felt that this had never happened before and joyously joining their palms single-mindedly, look at that, they beheld the Buddha. Single-mindedly they beheld the Buddha. BDK, single-mindedly contemplate Buddha. Nichiren, single-mindedly meet Buddha. You sense a theme here? All right. At that time, the Buddha emitted a glow. You know what's coming next, so we'll save that for the next video. In the meantime, keep your practice strong. Yeah? Take care of your health, for goodness sake. Savor your practice. It's awesome. And I thank you again for he being here. Take a few seconds to like and subscribe. It's a Bodhisattva act. It helps propagate and expand our Sangha. So thank you. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. And if, if you have the ability to support us, even just buying books or, or mandala, use the bookstore, the, the links are all in the description. It, it's, it, it's fabulously important for the continued expansion and running this uh, resource, the website, the channel, everything, the podcasts. Um, I don't want to have to monetize the podcast. I don't want to make it any harder to support your practice than if I can avoid it. As much free stuff as I can, I will do. Yeah, like the podcast, like all the stuff that's on threefoldrose.com. I just, I don't have the independent wealth to supply everyone with a library. I wish I could. Um, and then there are those of you who uh, just donate through PayPal or um, Patreon, where all the videos are also free. So um, just, I'm so grateful and proud of you guys. for the, This practice isn't just, it's not just simple. But the more you do it, the more rewarding it is. So it kind of keeps you going, yeah? And that's all I want to do is give you resources to make you confident. Stick with it. It does pay off. Anyway, thanks again. I'm going to let you go. Take care of your health, and I'll see you in the next one. All right? Bye for now.